When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. How's it going? And welcome to episode 112 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the wire pod you can follow me at 80 grade that's all spelled out and you can follow kevin hasting at hasting kevin but unfortunately kevin is off again this week instead i am going to be joined by my glarf league mate and overall fantasy baseball aficionado doug roth doug can be found on the twitter at doug roth 15 and though Doug has two main event leagues wins under his belt, as well as a top 20 finish in the overall, I get the pleasure of introducing him to the podcast world for the first time ever on air. So we will go easy on him. Hopefully Doug does not go easy on me and you guys as we get some really good information out there for you for your fab consideration this Sunday evening. We got a lot to talk about, but before we get into it, Doug, thanks for uh, thanks for picking your podcast cherry with me here on On The Wire. How are you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful today. It's a beautiful day here in Chicago. It's nicely 40 degrees outside after we had 80s earlier this week. How about yourself today, Adam? It's not bad. Yeah, I was outside. I'm just uh, three hours south of you in Indianapolis, and uh, it was it was supposed to be a really nice day. But instead, we got like all these like gray clouds that were like just trying to scare me the whole time as I'm trying to do as much yard work as possible. And didn't I, I felt like three raindrops. So I got a lot done. But the whole time I'm just like scurrying around trying to clean up the yard to make sure if all of a sudden it starts downpouring. <laughs> but luckily nothing hit. Overall, a good day besides an old back barking at me after all that work. It, it feels good to be. It feel, feels good to be here with you being able to talk about baseball once again. Oh, yeah. It's great to have baseball going, of course. Couldn't miss it for the world. It's been a great four weeks here and there. And I was just telling you before we started that one of my teams went 0 for 35 so far today. So that's just amazing. Hard to do. (laughs) Yeah, 1 for 35. It's all bad. We're having a bad day. But 0 for 35, I just have to applaud them at that point. Yeah, it's like one of those when you do an eight-leg parlay and none of them hit, there should be some kind of consolation prize. If oh, you definitely. if one out of eight hit, all right, that stinks. But if none hit, you should get something. So if you can go 0 for 35, somehow you should get rewarded for that. You should. <laughs> you could just take a screenshot at least and live vicariously through it on Twitter. <laughs> That's always an option. It is. All right, all right, Doug, let's get into it. We got about four or five different pieces of news. Again, we don't hit on every news item on this show. I tend to focus on the things that may affect your consideration for FAB. There's a whole bunch of other places you can keep up to date with your news and notes throughout the course of the week. But for now, let's get right into it. Some considerations for FAB that you might want to keep in mind as you're making your bids. Let's start with the Dodgers in LA. Michael Grove, he went on the IL after slipping a bullpen mound. That was a little rainy, a little slippery. And there he goes. He's on the IL. 
there's a the Dodgers have a few options. Obviously, we've been clamoring for Bobby Miller to come up, Gavin Stone, a couple other prospects. Ryan Pepio is still working his way back. But is there anyone that you are speculating on for this fab period, knowing that there's now an opening in the Dodgers rotation? I would guess Gavin Stone gets the start. That's my assumption at this point. But uh, it's nothing obviously set in stone. I don't think it'll last long this spot because we have Tony Gonsling coming back soon. They could even try to rush him back sooner if they needed to. But honestly, I don't think it's going to be more than one start at this point. I think they're just going to get Gonsling back after that for sure at this point. Yeah, it seems the whole term Dodgeritis is obviously in everybody's head whenever there's something happening with their rotation there. They have a lot of options, even with the injuries that they're sustaining with Pepio coming back and like you say, Gonzalez still working his way back. It doesn't seem that the Dodgers have a history of rushing guys back because they've always had this kind of depth that they can call upon when needed. I do wonder how much they want to rush their the Bobby Millers of the world and even the Gavin Stones and how much they want to really put on their shoulders. And so I get the thought process behind rushing back somebody like Gonsolin as long. I don't think the Dodgers are a smart organization. They're not going to do anything that's going to put their pitchers in harm's way on purpose. And so if they are going to rush Gonsolin back, I actually have a lot more faith in that because the Dodgers are going to rush him back then they pro- they feel confident that he's ready to go. All right, let's stay in the LA region and go to Anaheim here with their catcher, Logan Ohapi, who's had a good little start to the season. He injured his shoulder earlier in the week in Boston and then injured it once again a couple of days later. And now he heads to the IL and it's not looking good. We don't have anything concrete, but it does look like it'll be contemplating some kind of surgery probably and could miss the remainder of the season, but nothing's set in stone. As you said earlier, this is an ongoing injury in general, though, even if it wasn't, doesn't mean it didn't mean surgery and missing the whole season. Obviously this is an ongoing thing that is going to bother him for quite some time. You're, You're, I'm assuming you're ready to move on based on the fact that it looks like he's going to be missing quite a bit of time. If not the entire 2023 season, is there a replacement out there? that you might be looking at. This is the catcher position. Of course, we talk about two catcher leagues most of the time. Obviously, in a one catcher league, there's plenty of options, especially in a shallower format. But in your deeper formats, talking even to 12-teamer with two catchers, is there anybody out there that you might be spending some fab on just to make sure you have an active catcher in your lineup? Yeah, it's actually funny because I've been rolling in two 12-teams leagues. One of them, I haven't been rolling out Trevor Starno because there's the depth is weak. So even on the IL, I think it would be worth it. But obviously, Ohapi is a different situation. The point is more or less that catcher's so bad that even Jan Gomes, who seems like he's going to be getting a lot of starts, I think he's got three home runs already on the season. He and a stolen is, base. And a Jan stolen Gomes base. has a stolen base. <laughs> yes, that's wonderful. I think he's probably the best bet. He's going to get a lot of play with the Cubs. I've, he's even DH'd at times. He probably won't get that anymore with Suzuki back. But he's going to get enough start and run that he should be good enough to be picked up. I wouldn't spend too much fab on a Jan Gomes or anything, like a couple of dollars, like a 6 $7 bid on him. And then just kind of waterfall, if you guys know that term. Basically, just put a bunch of guys for cheaper and just hopefully get something because Catcher's so terrible this year, I feel. Obviously, the top-end guys are pretty good, but after that, it's pretty black. 
Yeah, this is a situation I had last week, and I can't remember who I was dropping. There was another catcher that got hurt last week, and I had to drop him in two or three leagues. But I had to make sure, to your point, the waterfall or the conditional bids in general, I had to make sure I had enough of them because I didn't want to spend a lot of money on a catcher, a replacement catcher. But I also didn't want to throw, I didn't want to get screwed and not get a catcher in this fab and have to have somebody who was on the IL for the next seven days. So yeah, definitely make sure that you've got options in there. Even if it's somebody, even if you're just staying in Anaheim and you're going to Matt Tice, and as long as you have a body, a warm body, who's going to go to the plate two to four times in the week, it's still better than taking the zero in most scenarios. If you're in the deepest of leagues, maybe taking the zero is the right way to go, depending on who's out there. But it's something to consider, making sure that you have plenty of conditional bids, especially in that position. I want to say in Glarf this past week, there was like five people who claimed a catcher for $2 or less. And it was just kind of I like, saw that were, screenshot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody sent a screenshot of that out. It was a good <laughs> laugh. Just kind of trying to find the bottom of the barrel guys we could piece together at this point. It's funny. That's how bad catcher really it's, is. It's terrible. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to get much better. Andy, Andy oh. yeah, in Pittsburgh, he went on the I, in the minor league IL. And so everybody's stat, not everybody, he's being stashed in a quite a few places. So I would assume we'll see him being dropped this weekend in Fab as well. Obviously, he's not going to get called up anytime soon with his injury as well. Yeah, good luck with catchers. It's really tough out there, especially in a 15-team league. It's hard. All right, let's take let's get away from catchers then and go back to a rotation. This is addition by subtraction in Arizona where Madison Bumgarner was finally DFA'd by the Diamondbacks after his most recent and not first, but most recent blow up. It was announced that Tommy Henry and not Brandon Fott was going to fill Bumgarner's spot in the rotation, which should be rolling around this coming Monday, the tomorrow, as you're listening to this. It seems inevitable at this point, though, that Fott would be called up soon. Their GM said that he was major league ready. But his start in Reno, his scheduled start in Reno just didn't line up with this start on Monday that they would need him to fill. So they went with Tommy Henry and Henry's also on the 40 man already. And so whatever, I'm not going to get into the politics there of why they chose him. It's probably a dumb reason, but I would assume even if Henry wows us against Kansas City on Monday, that they're going to find a way to stretch out the rotation spots to bring Fott in as soon as possible, especially after making a comment like he's major league ready. That's just manip- that's straight up manipulation if you're going to say that out loud in writing to be used for future. That it's like, hey, if I'm major league ready, why am I not in the major leagues yet? Start my clock. Anyway, I digress there. Should, are you stashing Fod? Have you been stashing Fod? And if he happens to still be available somewhere, what kind of, what kind of fab are you thinking about putting on him this week? I own zero Fod. I wish I owned a ton of him. Obviously, when he didn't get the rotation spot, I was completely out. I figured Madison Bumgarner would be bad. We all saw that contract when he signed it and was like, this is going to be a bad contract. Just like Eric Hosmer in San Diego. I don't understand how some of these teams sign these guys in these contracts. And everybody with half a brain can understand these are bad contracts. But I digress too. I wish I would have stashed him. I don't have any. And I would definitely bid for him this week if he was available in a league of mine. I wouldn't bid too much. I would probably bid about somewhere in the 60 range for talent. He's definitely worth about, yeah, 60 to $70, probably about $66. I'd never like to end on a certain number when I'm bidding in fab. It's, 
never end on a five, never end on a zero, a one, a nine. <laughs> I just just throw the most random numbers so that nobody could ever follow me. And some one week I might bid all sixes, and the following week I bid all sevens that end with. I'll try to mix it up so if someone's trying to read me, be completely <laughs> nice. thrown out into the garbage. That's my theory. If they can read me, I can't even read myself. So they got me. Congratulations. Just use one of those randomizer.org like websites and be like, all right, oh, what yeah. number am I throwing out this time? I'm going to throw in a 60 to $67 range. What number am I going to throw out? Just like, you don't know. Exactly. You know? I, because regardless of whether or not he's been so bad with Bumgarner, I will be curious to see where he ends up re-signing because somebody is going to spend the minimum and just to bring him in as a presence as a veteran presence situation I, I wonder of course the speculation would be does he go back to san francisco again on a minimum contract i'm not venturing out here saying that it's going to be fantasy viable no matter where he goes it's just more as a baseball fan. I'm curious to see where he goes. I'd like to see him sign back in San Francisco for the remainder of at least this season at minimum. And he's not the type of guy who would take a minimum contract and then put him wherever you want. He's still going to want to pitch in the starting rotation. So it's not like you could just throw him in the bullpen or something like that. Yeah, I think what the Giants, though, is I think they're set with their rotation. Like They move Stripling to the pen, which I have a couple of Stripling shares and 12-teamers that I cut already, but... I just feel like he seems to be good enough to start. And why would you need Bumgarner? Obviously, yeah, the history there makes a lot of That's sense. That's it. That's all it is. Yeah. And also, but not just that though. Like I don't know what he'd want to go to a contender. I would imagine. And what contender would want Madison Bumgarner's services, especially because he seems like such a tool at this point in his career, <laughs> yelling at guys and stuff, etc. That was ridiculous. <laughs> That's what you need to do: is get better. Okay. Don't be yelling at people. Calm just down. Keep, just keep yourself. Better. Yeah, yeah. You're not Max Scherzer. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can't get away with that. <laughs> One point he could, but not anymore. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go. For more unfortunate news for the Miami Marlins. They're going to, they lost Trevor Rogers for quite a while as he went to the IL with a bicep issues, which he's had in the past as well. Never a good sign. Anything arm related for your starting pitcher. How are you, this time around, how are you expecting the Marlins to fill his spot in the rotation? And same kind of question for the, as for the Dodgers. Are you stashing any arms there, assuming they get they get a look with this new opening? I'm currently not stashing any arms there. I wish I would have put more bids on Braxton Garrett because personally, I think he's got a lot of talent and there's a lot of stuff I like with Braxton Garrett. I didn't bid enough fearing that he would lose his spot when Cueto came back and everybody was back. And uh, so I just put a lower bid, about a 10% bid, and I lost them in all the 15s. And now I really wish I would have bid more because he's going to stick in the rotation with that spot. I don't know what what's going to be next for Miami, though. Who's going to come in and fill that role? I got a lot of, you get a lot of chatter. Like at this point, Miami's hit had some rotation issues, both with trading away Pablo Lopez and having other injuries to other guys. I think at the beginning of the year or before this year started, there would be no question that Yuri Perez would not. He's somebody that we might see post all-star break, maybe even as a cup of coffee at the end of the season, just to get a taste. But at this point, like one, he's pitching really well. And two, they're starting to run out of, (laughs) of depth, which is what they're known for. Yuri Perez, somebody that people are going to be extremely excited about. If there's a situation where he's available now, of course, in the NFBC, if he wasn't drafted, he's not. You can't 
pick him up right now in fab, but in your Yahoo CBSs, whatnot, if he's out there, do you have any inclination that this is going to be an option for the Marlins earlier than maybe we would have thought? No, I really don't think so. I've seen some places that Brian Hoying will get the start this week mm-hmm. or the spot don't know for sure obviously we haven't heard anything definite but i wouldn't go out and get that yet i wouldn't spend the fab or the roster spot really let's be real i don't like to fill roster spots in leagues of guys speculating like i'd rather fill it with anybody else who could just play for me not even in even in leagues with il spots my i play in a my home league is has five il spots and i still will always it's a daily league though Still, always want to make sure I'm not stashing anybody who's in the minors or anything, just because you could turn and burn everybody so much quicker, and you're just better off not stashing something like that. I always feel like, and that small chance that a pitching prospect is that good, and you missed out. I mean, you missed out, but most of the time, you're going to be better off just not stashing. History has shown that's to be the case for sure. Hard man, and we're going to get into this on this next question, but like. Some of these guys come up with the Taj Bradleys, Mason, uh, Mason Millers, like there, it's just fun to watch. It's like you, and you want to be part of that, like again, vicariously through your fantasy teams and you want a piece of that. So that'll segue into this last question where we talk about Taj Bradley. He wowed in his debut. He got sent down and returned obviously with Jeffrey Springs injury. Uh, and he continues to do fun things there. Mason Miller got the call up for Oakland. He pumped a hundred on throughout the course of his four and one third debut. Logan T Allen. He is making his debut for Cleveland on Sunday. As you're listening to this today. And then Simeon Wood Richardson, he returned to Minnesota. He was also at one point a really top, top pitching prospect for Toronto came over in the Jose Barrios deal along with Austin Martin. There's a lot of guys coming up. We just talked about Brandon Fott as a potential come up in the next week or two. We've got Kyle Harrison in San Francisco. Nick Pollock had his great little meme where he's like, he changed the whole, how am I going to carry all these limes into how do I carry all these prospect pitchers thing going on, which was accurate. (laughs) And, but you've already touched on it, but how much should we be bidding on these guys if they're available, especially the guys who have already come up? Like obviously Mason, Mason Miller is going to be a big target for many people as Taj Bradley was last week. How excited are you to have a piece of these guys once they're actually up? I, I'm very excited to have some of the pieces like Taj Bradley. I had bids. Uh, I thought we're aggressive enough to get him, and I got zero shares I have no roster. I was quite upset by it. I thought I bid enough. I put at least one, 180 or more in every league, and I wasn't even the runner-up in most of them. I thought that would be enough, but clearly it wasn't. He went for 500 and something in one of the main events. I just think that Taj Bradley looked so good. Once he was going to get that spot, it was a for sure go on him. Mason Miller, though, I would definitely go pretty high in, but not quite as much as I would have Taj Bradley. Team context is really important there. Like, the A's are not going to win games. That's the big problem with Mason. I'm Mason Miller there. If the park is great for him, which I've been saying that all year for all these Oakland pitchers, and I've thrown quite, I've threw JP Sears' two step last week that wasn't very good, and I'm throwing Kyle Miller this week. That park is still the best pitcher's park in all of baseball. Wins are going to be hard to come by, but his ratio should be good, and he should be able to get strikeouts. The wins is the only problem with Mason Miller here. What's your thoughts on him, Adam? 
Man, I missed out on Miller in my home league. Who? It's not a fab league. It's a it's a fastest finger with waiver priority, rolling waiver priorities. I had the third best, and the guy who had the first waiver priority, he was debating going back and forth whether or not he was going to utilize it on Brandon Fott when he comes up or just go for the sure thing that was obviously already up. He ended up going with Miller. And so Fott's still on the board. So hopefully the guy with above me now is a little low and I'll get a little piece of thought, but man, Miller, like I, it's the whole Miller is the, is and you're gonna, we'll get into Miller a little bit later, but he's tough because he's in Oakland. <laughs> so it's like how many wins from a fancy team am I expecting here? Obviously he only went four and a third It's his debut. He had a soft cap of 80 pitches, but even if he goes five, how many wins can, you know, that bullpen, actually hold on to for him. Maybe he still racks up six or seven strikeouts in a five inning game on a regular basis, but it's tough. It's what you, like you said earlier, it's Taj Bradley is doing great things right now. Will he be doing great things throughout the course of the season? It is a long season and how much dead weight will he become in August when they're manipulating time or where they're limiting innings or whatever on any of these young guys, not just Bradley. Obviously, Miller has a very limited innings cap through his professional career as well. It's tough because it's so extremely exciting and really easy to get into. But I think you nailed it earlier when you were like, hey, I was on Taj Bradley everywhere. I I thought I bid enough, but but it obviously wasn't. It's really important to keep in mind, you don't want to get so hyped up that you're throwing away the rest of your season in fab bids. You know what? You're bidding 500 bucks on one player in April. Yes, I get the idea that the guys that you pick up now are going to do more for you throughout the course of the season. Pitchers are a lot tougher, especially young pitchers, because they could go up and they could go down. They could become that that weight on your roster that you talked about that you're going to want to drop because they're not actually, you can't actually put them in your starting lineup because they're not in the majors. And so it is a tough situation to go after. And I have bids on these. Kevin says this all the time. It's, I'll have bids on all these guys, but it probably won't be enough. Like I'll have my conditional bids on Miller. I don't expect to get Miller in many places. That was another great thing about Todd Bradley last week, though. He had pitched 130 innings last year. So at least you're looking at 150, at least this year. You knew he would get somewhere with these innings, but I'm a little more wary of Mason's innings this year than Taj Bradley. So that's another reason to temper it, not just the wins. Yeah, that's fair. All right. That's going to wrap it up for our news and notes section of the episode. As always, I'm sure we missed some things worth noting to keep up with all the news of the day. Make sure you're listening to Nick Pollock's Plus Pitch Podcast, highlighting every starting pitching performance from the day prior. And of course, the first pitch podcast with Casey Bubba and Jake Crumpler on the weekends, which when they break down the news highlights and observations from every day's worth of games, as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. In just a moment, we're going to take a moment to talk to Doug about a certain kind of strategy that I think really hits us during the preseason, but can flow over into the season as well. We're going to talk about group think when it comes to fantasy baseball. We're going to do that after this quick break. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. 
and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back. Of course, you are still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, this week joined by Doug Roth, my league mate at Glarf. And actually, Doug, how many main events are you? How many main events do you do per year? Normally, it's just one. This year, I'm doing two. It was just happenstance that I decided I came back from Vegas and I'm like, I want to do one more. I won some money in college basketball. So I was like, I got some extra money. This is go. what I'm going to do with it. So, uh, <laughs> so is your second one, was it an online then? Yeah, it was an online. Right. It was like one of the last ones to fill. It was literally like the night before the season started. And it was like the literally the last league they filled. Oh, that's awesome. Apparently, we're going to talk about in just a second, like the fact that you did a draft in October and then you did probably one of, if not the last, at least major draft on the NFBC platform in, in March as well. So it's fun to bookend your draft season in that way. Yes, it is funny. <laughs> they do a main event every year on the day baseball starts. It starts at eight in the morning, mm-hmm. East or my time, central time. So it would be 9 a.m. Eastern time. Like, good luck. I don't know who's ready. <laughs> Just go that morning up and then fill in your roster for the week or whatever. Yeah, set your so lineup right luck. away. Yep. Draft set. Go. Uh, that's got to be tough. Yeah, maybe it'd be almost different than like doing a draft on Sunday morning of the first fab. Like they do run the fab the week, the Sunday before the season starts. Do a draft Sunday morning just to have to do fab later on that evening would be, it would be an interesting, oh, I messed up on my draft. Oh, great. A couple hours, I can fix it. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely, they do the run of fab the day after the main events in Vegas. And one time, like I had an injury already. Like normally if you draft on Saturday, you're good on Sunday. But mm-hmm. I have an injury, got to cut this guy out for the season. Let's go. There you go. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Wouldn't want to do the draft on Monday after fab. It's, oh, now I have to wait <laughs> to fix any kind of draft problems or injuries that come up or something like that. Yeah. You, we talked about, you did a draft in October. That's fun. I think my first draft was like mid-November. So you're ahead of the game on me for that one. But a lot of things obviously change as you are drafting throughout the course of the off season. And a lot of it has, people always say, hey, draft early. You can find, you can find your studs later on. It, a lot of people have a have the other side of the coin where it's like, you know what, there's too much going on. I don't know what's going on with these players. I don't know how to value them yet, yada, yada, yada. But that a lot has to do with something we talked about at the very beginning of the show I alluded to is that idea of fantasy baseball analyst groupthink. It's like the idea that we only have a value for players in a certain light because everybody's talking about them in the same way. Talk, can what are your thoughts on the whole idea of groupthink and how do you isolate it based on what's good, what's bad, what's not useful? It's really hard to actually do that. So that's what I liked about my October draft because I got to go back and look at what I did and what I thought at that time versus what I thought now. And even if I 
didn't look at anything, I think that I would draft more like I would have in October. But then you're reading your own notes and you're doing your own work. And then you also see everybody else's notes. You're reading Twitter. You're reading this. You're looking at that. Oh, this guy did this and just talking about it on Twitter. So you're getting all these new ideas that you didn't have before. And you're thinking it's really helping. It's really pushing guys up and pushing guys down. And you're really, is it really you thinking this or is this what you're hearing? Mm. And that's what's really hard to digest. So I took Patrick Wisdom in the 16th round in my October draft, and he pretty much went undrafted in the main event season. And I didn't draft him in any of my leagues in the main event, either my two leagues or any of my 12 teams, nothing. I was so high on him right after the season. He had back-to-back 25 run, home run seasons he was coming off of. He stole eight bases last year. And I thought, oh, man, you're going to bank 25 home runs and five to 10 stolen bases. Easily a 16th round pick. He, I want to say he earned like he was 150, about 150 ranked player and earned a value last year. Sure. On like Raz Ball. And now all of a sudden he's going undrafted. And it's because everybody... Nobody was talking about it. No, everyone's worried about playing time. Nick Madrigal is going to play third base every day. That's hard to believe in any world. We thought maybe Christopher Morrell, obviously the Cubs don't like him or something. They sent him down. So the first week ran fab, or the second week, because the first week is there's no games played. First week ran, Patrick Wisdom hit a home run, and I right away went and added him in both my main events. I was like, what am I thinking? Why, where did I get to this conclusion that a 16th round pick in October is now not even draftable? And so I ran out and grabbed him both leagues, and now he's got nine home runs. Of course, I could sit here and say, oh, look, I feel so smart. And there's tons of guys that have the opposite effect, of course. I could, you could sit here and name a bunch, but it's just hard because we all suffer from this. This isn't just me. This isn't just Adam, I'm sure, suffers from it too. Do you have anybody like that that you think that you really were high on and then all of a sudden really dropped? I think the one that comes, I think that comes to mind was like, we. so we do – Pitch, we do just a too early mock draft with pitcher list early on in the season before the playoffs even end. And then it, was, and it wasn't this year, it was the year prior where I, I think I, it was also recency bias. It's like Tyler O'Neill in 2020, in 2020, obviously had a great season. So I'm coming in here in my 2021 too early mock draft, picking him in the second round. And by the time major drafts came around, he's dropping down to easily the fifth or sixth round, still higher than he probably he should have gone based on injury concerns and what have you. But yeah, I, that was the opposite of your scenario of what you're talking about, where you were high on a guy and then all of a sudden he's just completely off the board with wisdom. And I, there is something to be said about what I just said. There is going to be recency bias right? Where somebody has a great second half and you do a draft in October and this guy is fresh in my mind. I want him. I want to make sure I grab him next year. And all the things that could possibly happen in the off season between injuries, signings, just whatever, whatever you want to throw out there could happen. So obviously there are a lot of risks. There are a lot of things that can change the narrative that people are talking about. The wisdom, this is a great example though, because it's like nothing happened. Nothing. The Cubs didn't do anything besides block Matt Mervis from ever playing baseball in the major leagues. They didn't do anything to hurt wisdom per se. And so it is interesting to see that happen throughout the season, because like you said, literally nobody was talking about Patrick wisdom throughout the course of the offseason. 
I will say he was drafted in Glarf, actually, but that was Sarah Sanchez. So at first I was kind of like, oh, somebody is on him. She is a big Cubs fan, but obviously she knows what she's talking about with the Cubs, and she saw the path to playing. Even if you look at the projection systems, all of them had him at about 300 plate appearances this year, which is obviously why nobody was on him, because everybody was looking at that instead of actually looking at what the Cubs did. Yeah, the projection systems are part of this group think, right? Like these calculated projections that are obviously built by very smart people and then spit out information about these players that only computers can do, obviously after being programmed by really smart people. And that leads into that group think that we hear about throughout the course of right around mid-December through through the end of main, dra- main event draft season at the end of March. So that can definitely be an influence into what people are talking about or what they're not talking about. And are, there's got to be times in which this kind of group think is beneficial because, I don't know, it, part of me is like always is, you know what, it's, it's the whole adage like, do the quote, do your own research type of the conversations you hear about and outside of fantasy baseball. It's like, yeah, you can do your own research, but at the same time, and Kevin and I talk about this all the time. Like, you know what? There are certain things that I'm not that great at researching. It's if there's talk, if we're talking about starting pitching, I'm going to lean on the people I know have a history or have a track record of analyzing and go, doing deep dives into starting pitchers and spitting out the best information. And yeah, I'm going to weigh that information. I'm going to use that information to the best of my ability based on what I'm looking at, drafting or picking up or what have you. At the same time, you also have to know who you're listening to. And you're not just like you said, you're listening to a bunch of stuff. You're reading a bunch of stuff on Twitter. You're reading a bunch of articles, but knowing where that information is coming from and what kind of track record the authors have of success or failures or actually being able to learn from their own mistakes, I think is really important. This is just taking (laughs) the conversation a little bit further, but it's like, you got to know what you're listening to and how you can get the most information out of it. Yeah. Look at a positive factor. I don't want to just talk about negative. You think is Jeffrey Springs, rest in peace. He looked like he was going to be on his way to be an ace. And I got him in that same draft in the 12th round and Drew Rasmussen in the 14th round. And they both obviously by main event season, those guys Springs was going around pick 100 at that point, instead of pick 175 and Rasmussen I was probably about 115. But obviously, both those guys look great, and the group think really helped on that. Pitching gifts or whatever, I know some people make fun of them. That kind of helps, too, obviously, on some <laughs> of these guys. But yeah, it's definitely, group think can help, too. But at some point, you got to stop, walk away, and look at what you think is important. And look at playing time, and really divide that up. That's like the one thing that I try to do, is look at playing time. And that's important to me. A lot of people, I'll use the, I don't do my own projections, but I'll look at the projections and then I'll look at their plate appearances and then assume on my own where they're going to, where the plate appearances are going to go. I don't want to be like, I'm not going to sit here and be doing my own projections. I'm not that good at computers. I'm not that smart at math, but yeah, definitely. That's probably the most important thing. And I feel like the group think is where that's what really hurts that the whole where the guy should go. And obviously, like I said, there's great positives and some negatives sometimes. Yeah, I think that I hear jokes about it all the time. To, oh, by the time the main event rolls around, this guy's going to be going in the second round or nobody's going to be touching him in the main event or something like that. It, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that 
ADP obviously is part of groupthink, right? That's literally what ADP yep. is. <laughs> That's exactly what ADP is. Yeah. And so <laughs> I think, especially for somebody who doesn't have as much confidence into in what they're doing and whether they admit it or not, pulling somebody five rounds out of ADP, whether it's too early or too late, is really hard for them to like grasp why they should be doing this and also whether or not your chat is active or not you don't want to be called out for something like that and i know that mentality exists out there and it's a very difficult one to overcome and it takes some time it takes some experience to just literally block it all out and not worry about it and go with what to be or at least what you feel to be correct but that's definitely part of it as well it's just the uh, obviously you can turn it around and say i don't want to i don't want to pick this guy five rounds early when I can, I might value him, but I can get him a little bit later and get the value, more value for my draft pick. I get that. But at the same time, you also can't be afraid to draft somebody when you think they're valued to be good to go. I have a great example of that. So in 2019, I finished 16th overall in the main event and I'm sitting there and it's the fourth round and Daniel Murphy just showed up in Colorado and I liked him a lot, but I had Jonathan VR ranked just ahead of him, second baseman. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to go with Daniel Murphy here, even though I had VR ranked higher than him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can get VR back. And I didn't get VR on the comeback. And VR goes off and he's, I want to say he was the number one player that year. And I took Daniel Murphy who played like 15 games all year. Yep. And he was a cut by like, he was hurt. He like broke his thumb. He played more than 15 games. He like broke his thumb and he missed like, it was like a month and a half, and then he was just terrible when he came back. And Daniel Murphy was like, big thing though was Daniel Murphy always paid off for me because his big breakout year, I had owned him everywhere, so it was it was kind of like a nostalgia pick. I mean, it was the hurt. opposite of burn me once and shame on me type of thing. It's yeah. like the opposite of that. I'm like Murphy's been he's been there for me in the past. He'll yep. be there for me in the future, exactly. And until he's not. <laughs> and then Jonathan VR is a superstar, and I probably would have. This is his year in Baltimore, right? Yeah. 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 And I'm just like, dang, all year I kept saying. But then I also believe in the butterfly effect in a draft. If I would have took VR there instead, I would have drafted a completely different team because I would have had way more stolen bases and I would have been looking at different things instead. I don't know what would have happened. You never do. No, absolutely not. Because if you would have, like I said, if I would have took VR there, I would have been looking for home runs instead of stolen bases later and this and that. And who knows where the pieces go. But the other problem that I noticed every year I have is I need to start pitching up pitching more in the main event and everything. That's my weakness is starting pitching depth. So this year I tried, I didn't draft them early, but I drafted more sooner than rolling out like a bunch of 20th round picks on that. You need to find what your strength or your weaknesses is. I can go find hitters on the waiver wire. I feel like pretty easily, but I can't really, you can't really find pitchers. Maybe some of you can, but I can't strengths and weaknesses as well. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to touch on it myself when we get into one of the categories, but especially in a 15-teamer, man. We learned this last year. We learned it the year before. Streaming, pitching, and we, we had Nick Pollock on the show in the offseason. He said it perfectly. You should be streaming, pitching, so you don't have to stream pitching anymore. You stream pitching so that you can find the guy that you're going to hold on to and who's actually going to help you without having to try to find new life on the wire every single week and of course we're going to continue to do that every week to try to sift through and find what the options that might be out there but you don't want to you don't want to be doing that <laughs> no you don't you definitely do not want to be doing that every week 
No, man. And it just gets harder and harder throughout the middle of the season. Maybe we get a couple more call-ups or maybe something fun happens in August. But the middle of the season is by far the worst for doing that. So make sure you have your ducks in a row by the end of this month, which is coming up real quick. All right, Doug, we're going to get into some recommendations in just a little bit. And as I I said to Mike Carter a couple of weeks ago, I want to make sure you get as much detail as possible so I know exactly who you're bidding on in Glarf. So I (laughs) I can get a little bit of a leg up here because I think I need it in that league already. So we'll get into all that in just a little bit after this quick break. All right, we are back. Of course, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes here and get into our recommendations. Some players that caught our eye this past week or we think are going to catch our eye for this coming week in different categories that we might be looking for. Of course, as we always tend to do, we'll try to hit up as much of the roster set percentages in, in different leagues with the main event, TGFBI is a, being a 15-teamer, the online championship being a recommendation based on 12-teamers. We might throw in some Yahoo, some ESPN recommendations as well, just based on roster ships there. As always, check your own wire. It doesn't take you any time to just double check, do a control F, do you know the search bar, whatever you need to do. Make sure that you're checking to see if any of these players are actually available and check your drops. Always check your drops to make sure that somebody didn't wasn't being forced for whatever reason, roster crunches to drop somebody really good the week prior that we didn't even talk about just because we were assuming that they're not available. But there's always somebody fun available in just about every league. So keep an eye out for that. So let's go right down the line, Doug. We got power to start us off. I'm going to let you go on your little uh, rant again. You're, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but who are you looking at for some power boosts if available? Please pick up Patrick Wisdom if he's available in your league. <laughs> there's not much more I can give you here. Do you want a guy who's going to hit your 30 home runs this year and possibly steal you 5 to 10 stolen bases? And yeah, you want Patrick Wisdom. He's available in 67% of online championships right now. And uh, he's he's rostered in 67%. My mistake. I said he's available. And in 41.4% of ESPN leagues, he's rostered. He is out there. You need to go at him in your league if he's available. He's still crushing the ball. He had another home run on Friday. He had four home runs or five home runs in four days over this past weekend. He's playing every day. He's been DHing a lot too with Nicky Madrigal at playing some third. I can't imagine why you wouldn't add him. Honestly, everybody could use him right now. And I'm from Chicago. I'm not a Cubs fan. And I'm telling you, this is who you need him on your team. Yeah, I wonder that my, I saw you put him, I feel like you put Patrick Wisdom on every category at one point and then just put him <laughs> on power. I get it. I think the only worry I think people might have is, I say this all the time, so you want to pay for future production. Obviously, you don't want to pay for what he's already done. Yeah, he's got the nine home runs already this season. He's second overall in baseball, only behind Pete Alonso, unless something has changed today. Well, I haven't been able to pay attention. And so I get that on the surface, like, all right, well, he's already got the nine home runs. Should we be expecting even more from him throughout the course of the season or even just next week? And I also think that there's some people that are like, you know what? I'm embarrassed that I didn't draft Patrick Wisdom in the 16th round. I want to, I'm not going to spend any fab on him. <laughs> yeah, I would say that he's still going to, he might have a little bit of a rough week. He's got, no, not too bad of a rough week coming up with pitching matchup, but he's going to definitely be somebody. If you're looking for a one week ad, maybe he's not the guy this week. 
but you needed to add him anyways for the following week. Sure, fair enough. He's going to be a 30 home run guy. If you could use a 30 home run guy, you need to add him. All right. Else, who's probably not a 30 home run guy that I'm going to throw out here just because of where he's, how often he's been playing. He's going to get plenty of opportunity to knock in some runs. I'm looking at Alec Burleson of St. Louis. He's been batting second every day. So obviously we're talking about power. We're talking about RBIs. We're talking about home runs. Still going to have some RBI opportunities because that St. Louis lineup is legit. And so even batting second, you're still going to have that opportunity there especially when you have somebody like Jordan Walker, who's batting at the bottom of the lineup, getting on base, even though he's not throwing in as much power as I think we were hoping or expecting early on, he's still getting on base. He's still giving an opportunity to the top of the St. Louis order to knock in some extra runs on top of that, though. He's just obviously St. Louis hates Tyler O'Neill because Alec Burleson (laughs) since being called back up is playing pretty much every day. Tyler O'Neill is not. And Alec Burleson is pretty much doing all things that Tyler O'Neill should <laughs> would be doing anyway. 30s, looking this correctly. I'm going to reference hard contact rate instead of hard hit rate here. And for those who don't know what hard contact rate in comparison is, hard contact rate is the same thing as hard hit rate, except it's over plate appearances. So it's there's a bigger sample size here. It stabilizes a lot faster. You can find it over the pitcherless player pages as well. But we're looking at a 36% hard contact rate, which ranks 29th in all of baseball throughout the through, so far through this season so he is doing really good things at a really hard rate so far this season and Oleg Borson should be somebody that I keep slurring his name because it just doesn't roll off my tongue <laughs> that well <laughs> that I'll be looking at as long as St. Louis continues to be putting him in a position to succeed and it seems like that seems to be the case moving forward 81% uh, rostered in the main event. So still about 20% of those leagues out there. He is available. I would expect that to be going up this fab period and readily available in your 12 teamers at 16% in the online championship, only 2% rostered across Yahoo. And of course, we'll always put in that caveat. Yahoo standard leagues only have three outfield slots as opposed to the NFBC that have the five. We do have the two util spots that you can always fill in extra players there. So Really think he should be rostered more often. He does see two lefties next week with Manai and San Francisco and Kershaw and with the Dodgers. He has been sitting against lefties on a pretty regular basis as well with a strong side of platoon. But there's only that's two out of seven. St. Louis has the seven game work week coming up this week. So you should still get plenty of plate appearances and opportunities for him to succeed. Burleson is somebody that I'll be looking at if I need an, a little bit of extra pop for the season, especially as somebody in your 12 teamers who's going to be readily available on the wire. Yeah, I like Alec Burleson as well. Uh, I think I think the whole thing going into the season, like I wouldn't have drafted Burleson. Obviously, he wasn't on the opening day roster. There was the whole idea. There's a whole group think about <laughs> let's just bring that full circle a little bit that there were so many mouths to feed in that outfield. People were worried that Walker wasn't going to be on the opening day roster. Obviously, he, he did that and he's been playing ever since. But I don't know what's going on with Tyler O'Neill and why he's not playing more often. Obviously, they're always going to be concerned with any kind of future injuries that he could sustain, or maybe he kicked somebody's puppy while we weren't looking. I'm not sure. I hope not. But Yeah, maybe. yeah. Obviously, not something I'm condoning or hoping <laughs> as well. <laughs> All right, let's move over to the speed category here. I'm going to lead us off here with somebody who 
only going to be able to find him in your 12 teamers and in your Yahoo leagues. So I'm not going too deep on that. I'm going to let you go a little bit deeper with your suggestion, Doug. But Jose Siri is a little bit of a sneaky address because he's in the middle of his rehab assignment right now. Obviously, he was tearing the cover off the ball before he got hurt but when this is a speed category obviously we're talking about stolen bases and runs he is toward the bottom of the tampa bay order but tampa bay has been one of the most aggressive teams on the base pass and that's without siri being part of that in the last two weeks they're the sixth most aggressive team with stolen bases or aggressively going after those stolen bases that is and they're going up against Houston and the Chicago White Sox. White Sox being one of the top three, excuse me, top five teams that have been run up against throughout the course of the last two weeks as well. So as far as that 98% sprint speed is concerned, Siri should be utilizing that as often as possible. He's got the one stolen base, obviously small sample size of when he was actually playing there. He only had three opportunities. And when I'm saying opportunities, he only had three times in which he was on first base with second base open throughout the that short stint at the beginning of the season. He took one of them. So 33% rate is pretty, pretty strong. We'll see how much that stretches out. But I would venture to guess that Tampa will be utilizing his speed as long as he's healthy enough after that rehab stint to steal some bases. And at the bottom of the order, that second that second leadoff spot, as people call it, even though he might, might lose a plate play appearance per game, Compared to that actual leadoff hitter, still going to be, as long as he can continue to get on base like he was before his IL stint, he should be scoring some runs for you as well. I like Jose Surrey a lot. I don't have him in any of my NFBC leagues. I got, I cut him in the league without, because I didn't want to hold him and roster spot, but he's definitely somebody you should go after if he's available in your league. And they said it, he'll basically be called up on Monday that they were only presuming that he would do a three game rehab stint down Perfect. in AAA. Yeah, 87% roster in the OC, so still a couple spots out there in those 12-teamers. So check your satellites, check your home leagues, 16% in Yahoo still. And that's a league with IL spots, so I'm really surprised that 16% is so low for Siri, especially the way he started off the season. I'm going to take this, and I'm going to go with the speed guy, Elvis Andrew. Yeah, runs will be down because he was biting at the bottom of the order, but now that Tim Anderson's out, he's been hitting 368 over the last seven days and uh, he batted leadoff today as well for the White Sox he could be getting moved up from instead of the nine hole he could be batting first a little bit more often right now he has he's gonna play second or short for you so he's multiplayer position eligible he is 74 percent rostered on 12 team OCs in the NFBC and he's 2.9 percent rostered on ESPN right now he started off terrible this year he couldn't hit it was really bad but he's been doing a lot better he does have three stolen bases already his runs are pretty low there with nine unless he scored today but he's just somebody who's done it for so long and last year when he got to the White Sox he seemed rejuvenated he's also playing a brand new position after all these years in the big leagues so I imagine that may have weighed him down learn Learning second base is obviously short starts much tougher, but it's a new position for a player. Maybe that's why he really wasn't hitting well at first. And now he's starting to hit and they're moving him up in the order and he could easily steal 20 bases for you this year. If you hold him for the long term, he's got seven games this week, but he's got some tough matchups though. The White Sox have got Toronto and then they got the Rays. So it could be, this week might be a little tougher than you would hope, but he's definitely still going to be bad leadoff possibly for them this week. So you might want to add him for the week or for the rest of the season as well. 
Yeah, I like the call out. Andrews was somebody that I was fond of last year as well. Obviously, it didn't work out for the first half, but that came around in the second half in those DCs where I was able to hold on to him for the course of the season. Obviously, very comfortable in Chicago during his time. I was not surprised to see him call, get the call and sign back with the White Sox this year, based even on a one-year deal just because of obviously how comfortable he looked last year, running more often, hitting way better, just being an overall like happy player, it seems, at least statistically. <laughs> I never met him, so I can't really speak to like <laughs> his actual demeanor, but it sure seemed like he was having a lot more fun out there. It really did, but there is a little bit of concern with Tim Anderson when he comes back because there's going to be a big pinch there with Jake Berger just crushing the ball Mm -hmm. right now with his five home runs over the last eight games or whatever it is now. And they might pinch and try to put Berger at second, which they tried last year, but it didn't go over well. The White Sox over the last couple of years, they don't put anybody anywhere. Maybe they do put Berger (laughs) over at second, but I don't think they will. And I think it's going to be Andrews and Lynn Sosa has been pretty bad in this turnaround. So I think he goes back down to the minor. I, I still have this memory. I have the memory of he saw Andrew Vaughn taking grounders at second on the backfield at some point. And you're like, is Andrew Vaughn going to get second base eligibility all of a sudden? And that was, it was very White Sox X, as you alluded to. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> God help us all if that's the case. Please don't, just don't mess that up. Sooner or later, Mookie's going to get shortstop eligibility on top of second base, on top of outfield. So it, weirder things have happened. <laughs> weirder things have happened. All right, let's get into some guys that have a good opportunity ahead of them this coming week. Before we get into the recommendations, I'm going to give out a shout out to some of the schedule notes that you should be keeping an eye on when making these decisions. They might be tiebreakers. They might be something that you really want to be paying attention to. So just know that there are 13 teams that have a full seven game work week ahead of them. Baltimore, Yankees, Tampa Bay, White Sox, Detroit, Kansas City, Minnesota, the Angels, Oakland, Texas, Atlanta, Miami, and St. Louis all have seven full games pending any kind of rainouts or doubleheaders or anything like that. There is San Diego Padres are the only team that have two days off this week. They're off Monday and Friday, which is an odd work week. The three they have two three game sets. There's the second one just goes Saturday through Monday. So that's a fun little thing. So you're not going to lose two games in the first week. You have to actually make a decision whether or not you want to lose that Friday for, with your Padres. Every other team, they play six being off either Monday, Thursday, or in the case of San Francisco, they are also off on Friday. But that's the only day that they have off. Some good hitter parks to keep an eye on. Cincinnati, they are starting off the week with three at home versus Texas, but they will be on the road to the opposite of a hitter-friendly park going to Oakland for the weekend. Colorado starts on the road in Cleveland, and then they come home to host Arizona for a three-game set over the weekend as well. So look for your Diamondbacks to get a little bit of a boost as they travel to Colorado. And that kind of leads me into my recommendation. I'm going to segue right into it with Alec Thomas, somebody I'm looking at to take advantage of that Colorado period. 89% rostered in the main event, 23 in the online championship, 2% across Yahoo. He is Arizona's everyday center fielder. He does occasionally say not, he's not a, it's on a strict platoon, but he does occasionally sit against left-handed pitching. And they Arizona could face three lefties throughout the week, one against Kansas City and two in Colorado, which would be really 
anti what I'm talking about right now, <laughs> kind of going against my recommendation as a whole. But in general, Alec Thomas is doing good things and he's playing on a regular basis. So I'd be trying to take advantage of the situation he has moving forward. And then as a quick shout out, Oswald Peraza got called up by the Yankees, filled in at third base with Josh Donaldson getting a little bit of a setback and going to be out for quite some time. I'm looking for Peraza to get a little bit of a run with the Yankees with the both the call up and the added options that they that were the less options that they have to fill those gaps. So I think Praza stole a base today as well. So it's just somebody to keep an eye out if he is available since he did just get the call up or recall up this past week. Anybody that you're looking at, Doug, to take advantage of with, whether it's their schedule or their pitching matchups, that friendly pitching matchups that they have ahead of them, or just somebody who's walking into more playing time than you might have expected, anybody else that you're looking to take advantage of this week? Actually, somebody who just returned from injury, Joey Gallo. He was a fantasy star years ago, if you could swallow that batting average. But right now he's 58% rostered in 12 team online championships and 9.5% rostered on ESPN. He has five home runs and 11 RBIs in 10 games so far this year. He cut his strikeout rate to get this 31%. Oh, wait, that's still terrible, but that's that's his (laughs) career best, okay, guys? He's 31%. He's doing his best right now. If he could sit at 31%, he could probably do very well for all of us. He'd probably be useful because he could probably bat you 240. And that'll be good enough for Joey Gallo. If he's mashing home runs for us, he gets to go to Yankee Stadium this week, I believe. So we're going to be able to see him hit home runs against his former team. And I imagine he would love to do oh, that. Oh, yes. Absolutely. As much as he hated it there. He also then will get Kansas City pitching. And that will be awesome for him. Who wouldn't want to face that Kansas City pitching staff? He could hit a few bombs this week, definitely. I think he should be added for this week only and maybe hold held if he can keep up a 31% strikeout rate. Another guy that I see with a lot of playing time who just does a little bit of everything is Gio Urshela. He's only third base eligible. He was not going to pick up shortstop, which I was hoping because of the mm-hmm. because of the call up in Neto last week. I had him in some DCs that really wish I could have got that. Shortstop eligibility is just not going to happen. He's got the A's for four games. Who doesn't want to face the A's pitching staff? If you got a hitter, put he's easily going to be a first half week in the NFBC. You're going to want to play him over the weekend. I wouldn't put much fab on him, just a few dollars, though. Yeah, the Joey Gallo one is always a fun one just because I always go back to 2019 when I think he started off the first half at, with a batting average of 280 or something crazy, obviously, mm-hmm. for him. And then that's when NFBC was doing those second chance leagues. And it was the first NFBC league I had ever done. <laughs> it was the 2019 second chance league, Memorial Day weekend. And I ended up, I think I ended up drafting Joey Gallo in the second round. It was that. definitely it was definitely 19 because I had him on my main event team that finished 16th overall. There you go. And he really boosted and he broke his thumb or, yeah, bone some, or yeah. whatever that was. And, it was point, yeah. and I kept him for too long. But yeah, that, that was that was Joey Gallo's best year by far. Oh, I see. I think in that same year or maybe it was it was 2019 or 2018. I was in head to head playoffs and I didn't have Joey Gallo on my team. The guy I was playing didn't even have Joey Gallo on his team. But I had Jose Leclerc and Jose Leclerc was warming up to get the save in the in, in the eighth inning. And instead, because the Rangers were up three nothing or something like they were up by three. 
Joey Gallo comes up and hits a solo shot to make it bring him up by four. And I lose my championship by one save because Leclerc couldn't get the save. So I always say never again, Joey Gallo. I always blame Joey Gallo for that championship. Yeah, I would too, you know. Yeah. All right, let's hit up some pitching here. I'm going to let you start this one off because you just said such wonderful things about Kansas City pitching. We're looking at guys that could get us some wins and Ks. Obviously, a lot of times this is two-star pitchers. These are guys who could vulture wins as a follower, which is not as common as it once was at some at one point or another, but who could be getting you a win or some strikeouts? Those counting, the sweet counting stats on the pitching side of things, Doug. I like Brad Keller's two-step this week. He's 98% rostered in main events, so you're not going to get him there. He's only 43% rostered in nine-line championships. He's 12.5% rostered in ESPN. I've always been a Brad Keller guy, and it burned me last year. I think it was last year. He just started off so terrible. Mm-hmm. And I had, he had like two starts against Detroit. I had him in my main event, and he just got blown up in both. And it was rough. Soft contact kind of guy. But this year, he's changed his pitch mix, and he's been really good. He's got a three-even ERA on the year. He he gets to go at Arizona, which used to be a really good hitter's park, which is since the humidor has been added, it's been a lot better of a pitcher's park. And then he gets to go to at Minnesota. He's going Monday and Saturday, so even with the rain out, he should be good for the two-step. And I'd be willing to easily throw that in a 12-team league. Don't look for too many strikeouts, probably – 10 would be the max because he's still not really striking people out, but he's going to probably get a win in there because he's been pitching really well. I think he's definitely worth the ad this week. Yeah, he's been doing some good things up until his last start. Obviously, he gets pulled right before the fifth, before finishing the fifth, so obviously not qualifying for the win there, but still 30.7% CSW on 88 pitches. We're looking at a guy who's, obviously, like you said, changing that pitch mix, doing good things, and with a two-step with those matchups, I don't blame you for continuing to ride this out as long as he's going to allow it. Not a two-step, but Griffin Canning also doing really fun things for the Angels. He faces off against, lo and behold, Oakland, as we tend to pick on quite a bit, both in this episode and in general. <laughs> and 90, 98% in the main event rostered, but 20% in your 12-teamer OCs, 3% on Yahoo. In his two starts so far this season, he, he went, he went, oh, what was it? Let's see, he went... 69 pitches in his first start. He got up to 100 pitches in his next start. So he's going to go the distance in his last start. It was only five and a third. So obviously with those three walks, not being as efficient as he possibly could, but still 29% CSW with 13 whiffs is not going to be a bad thing. He's doing some good things. He's bringing down the usage of his fastball as well and going more a little slider heavy 35 percent usage on that slider versus 26 on the four seamer and still mixing in 25 percent change-ups he's doing good things all across the board he's got an amazing matchup yes he's this is not a guy that's going to have two starts but as much of a guarantee to win as any other single start could be against the Oakland Athletics. And since he is p- scheduled to pitch on Tuesday, this could lead into a two-start two start step the following week for the Angels if everything works out. But that's not what we're looking at for now. I'm just looking at him for this first week. Griffin Canning is somebody that I'll be looking at in my 12-teamers for sure. And as he's not really available, at least not in the main event. I think that 98% equates to probably two leagues, <laughs> maybe one, one or two leagues that he's available in. One. one. Is he yours? Is it in no, one no, of yours? No. 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 <laughs> All right. But moving on here, we're going to look at the ratios. I'm, these are, these, 
this is a difficult this is becoming a more and more difficult category to make recommendations on as we talked about earlier the streaming pitchers is so difficult to do off the wire especially in your deeper leagues you really and i think we talk about it a lot is for me, you really got to be looking at the guys who are going to help you in the ratios that are more of a guarantee to help you in the ratios. So I'm just looking at basically right now the Chicago Cubs bullpen. I, at first, I put Mark Leiter Jr. on here, who's pretty much striking out everybody. And then I realized he he let up, I think, two runs today. So obviously not looking good. So I'm going to throw in as a as a heads up, Jeremiah Estrada was just called back up by the Cubs, who was obviously a draft sneaky darling, if you will, as people were anointing him the closer to be for Chicago and obviously didn't make the opening day roster. He's back up now doing good things. And both of these guys could continue to see a lot of work in Chicago throughout the course of the next week. Some something that's hard to do in this format in the show as we're recording this on Saturday night, there's still a whole slew of Sunday games. As a general rule of thumb, what I like to do is if I'm going to if I'm going to roster or pick up relievers to help me in my ratios, I want as many innings as from those guys as possible. And it's hard to predict exactly where you're gonna get that. But at the very least, take a look at what they did over the weekend. I'm looking for guys who didn't do anything over the weekend so that they're fresh and ready to go on Monday, Tuesday, giving them, setting themselves up to pitch as many innings as possible throughout the course of the week. And I'm not talking about the guys that pitch every three, four days. I'm looking at the guys like Mark Leiter has been pitching, been thrown out there a lot by the Cubs. I don't know how exactly Estrada is going to fit in yet as far as like usage goes with the Cubs. But the guys like that who are getting thrown out there a lot, and if they just happen to not pitch on Saturday, Sunday, bam, pick them up, get a couple extra Ks. But really what I'm looking at is chipping away between three and five innings of work at that ERA and, and those whip. And as long as you're picking the right guys, obviously, they're it's harder to do. But in the relief situation, you got to find a good reliever. It's going to be harder for them to rack up, to get blown up throughout the course of a week as it will a streaming starter who could very easily find themselves in a bad matchup for just one inning and get blown up. Yeah, that's my number one rule. If I am going to pick up a middle reliever, whatever you want to call them, if they pitched on Sunday, they're out. I will drop, cut them right out. I do not, if they pitch Sunday, if they pitch Saturday, they're still in the mix. If they're the kind of guy who pitches every day, as long as they didn't pitch Friday as well. But if they pitch Sunday, they're out. I take them right away from my ads and they're gone. The other thing about Mark Leiter is, yeah, he gave, gave up the run um, today, but I was listening to the radio for the pregame on the Cubs and the reporter, Bruce Levine, baseball reporter, said that Mark Leiter would be a possibility for saves for the Cubs with Boxberger going forward right now with Michael Fuller's struggles that he would be one of the two guys who could possibly come in the ninth for a save at this point. But then today's runs may have taken that away from him him i don't know i had that i was was like oh it's gonna help people oh wait oh man now he stinks now i don't know that's gonna help now you can get him for a buck instead of for three bucks for a buck exactly (laughs) all right who are you looking at then that can chip away at your ratios uh thanks for the slam dunk i'm gonna take mason miller he (laughs) is definitely somebody that i think is gonna be really good for your ratios obviously like i said before oakland is the pitcher's park dream I used to always like to stream guys there, but wins wins will be tough, but that's not what we're talking about here, okay? We're looking at ratios, okay? So Mason Miller should be get the strikeouts. He has a great pitcher's park. 
and he should be able to keep that whip down enough and the ERA in a good place going forwards. The only weird thing is the fact that they always Fuji, I can't say his name, the Japanese guy pitches every Saturday. So you need to worry about, it gets confusing when you're looking ahead to set up the matchups to where they're going to slot in. So so you really need to pay attention to that. But uh, that's a tough part of the Oakland A's rotation right now. It's an interesting situation that we see. Obviously, we saw that with Shohei for a while as well. The guys coming over from Bomb is going once a week. And I get it. They were going every, what, six games or whatever. So it's just the easiest to be like, let's get yourself into a groove. We're going to make sure that you're going to pitch every Saturday in the Fujinami's case. I think Shohei was always pitching on Sundays, which was the worst because of all of a sudden that star got bumped. Like, all right, he's obviously just my hitter. I'm never going to throw him in as a pitcher in that scenario. Obviously, things have changed in that case since, but it is interesting to maneuver your way around the probable starters in Oakland based on that schedule. That's a good call out there. All right, last last pitching category here. We're going to talk about saves, guys who actually will get saves, not guys who just like the reporters think that might possibly share saves. And yeah, Lighter wasn't even a guy that I was throwing out there for that case, but I'm glad that I learned something new on my own podcast. So I appreciate that because I'm no not problem. listening to a whole bunch of Cubs games. <laughs> <laughs> I was just driving and it happened to be on. Yeah, it's perfect. All right, let's start you off then. Who are you looking at to, to pick up some saves for you in the next week? Maybe holding on to them for future saves as well. Clearly Brad Boxberger's got that job in Chicago with Fulmer's struggles and now Lighter giving up a run. He's definitely <laughs> 1A at this point. And he is 60% rostered in online championships and 4% rostered in ESPN leagues. He's definitely a guy that you should be able to bid up a little bit on. In the 12-team league, I'd be bidding about forty in the $40 range for him just because he is definitely going to be the 1A guy right now. And the Cubs are actually winning games more than I would have thought personally. So he should be somebody who is definitely rostered across all leagues that have saves in the category. And he should be started at this point as well. Been on it, what you think is right, but whether you're chasing saves or not, I don't really like to pay too much up for saves in a 12-team league because there's always guys going in and out and you can find them. It's not a deeper leagues where 15-team it's that saves, it's like you got to just put your whole bankroll for that saves mm-hmm. if it's the guy you like. 12 teams, you can be a little bit more uh, cautious. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm say, same kind of boat here as far as like closers who obviously seem to have taken the job. Going uh, in Anaheim, Jose Chata seems to have surpassed Carlos Estevez, who is somebody we all thought was going to have that job from the gate from the get-go here and he seems to have been overtaken by the lefty who has two of the last three saves for Anaheim and it's been doing really well for himself I think the concern obviously is as a lefty maybe this is not the guy that they're going to be going to on a regular basis but they have two other decent lefties with Matt Moore and Aaron Loop in in their back pocket in Anaheim that you can a similar situation with Andrew Chafin in Arizona where you have enough other decent lefties that you don't have to save your lefty for those matchups in the situation. If the guy's pitching and can get those last three outs of the ninth, you can continue to use that. In the most recent matchup on Friday, Estevez obviously came in earlier in the game with Quijada being the guy that getting the ball in the final inning with a 10-pitch save there. So Quijada, obviously in your deeper formats, you're getting a lot more speculation a little bit earlier. So the main event, he's more not so much readily available, but 
less than 50% rostered in your OC. So in those 12 teamers, he's still out there. Make sure you're, uh, he just got picked up in my home league as well again with the guy that I'm faced off against this week. So that was not fun <laughs> to see him get that save right off the bat after being added. Saves are always fun to get throughout the course of the season. So make sure you're working a little bit earlier on, on those situations. You can check out the bullpen report with the reliever ranks over at pitcherlist.com every single day with a detailed report on what's going on across baseball. And of course they hit on a lot of the highlights over on the first pitch podcast as well. So make sure you're listening to that on a daily basis. Doug, let's finish it off with our final category. My favorite category was our wild card category. Could be anybody. Could be anybody that didn't fit into one of the categories that we talked about earlier, or maybe somebody that did. You just wanted to bring them down here for an extra shout out. Could be a stash. Could be an IL. Could be a prospect that you could possibly pick up. Whatever case may be, I'm going to let you close us out with your recommendation. So I'm going to start us off here with Rodolfo Castro, who's somebody I was. Maybe my Patrick Wisdom, somebody, I think he is my second most rostered player across NFBC, somebody I was really high on based on what I thought was going to be opportunity to play every day at second base. To start the season didn't look like that was going to be the case, but unfortunately, O'Neal Cruz obviously out for a very elongated period of time for the Pirates. But from that silver lining for Castro's playing every day at shortstop now for the Pirates, for the above 500, well above 500 Pirates, may I say as well, doing quite well for themselves. Castro is somebody I have in a couple places that I will be definitely be starting more readily on top of the fact that he is eligible at three different positions in an NFBC. So that means in Yahoo, he probably has every position available to him because that's just how it works. Second base, shortstop, third base in NFBC and pretty much every platform. So you can throw him in your middle, throw him in your corner. If you're in a pinch, you can start him in any of those other positions specifically. Plus, of course, UT. He's taking full advantage hitting the crap out of the ball, stealing bases, hitting home runs every once in a while. And they're doing good things in Pittsburgh. And he's kind of part of it at this point. Rodolfo Castro, while while the bat is still hot, you know, I would say go ahead and grab him. He makes a nice little utility bench spot, if nothing else, moving long-term just because of that multi-positional eligibility. 52% rostered in the OC, so still readily out, available out there in those 12-teamers as well. So that's Adolfo Castro of the Pirates, somebody I'll be looking at, if for nothing else, that positional eligibility. That's a great recommendation right there. He's definitely should be rostered in almost every league at this point, especially with that flexibility who couldn't use that. But my recommendation is a very a very good recommendation just on the fact that it's, it could put a smile on your face. It just feels good. Yeah. It feels good to talk about. <laughs> Liam Hendricks, okay, he's 75% rostered in OCs. It's confusing because he didn't play yet, so he might not be available in the league because he hasn't played yet, but he isn't able to be added yet either. But he's only 17% rostered in ESPN. He's just been announced that he's cancer free, which is awesome news. We don't like hearing guys get cancer or anything. This is we're all trying to be happy here. We love fantasy baseball and we love baseball. But it's just a great story to have Liam Hendricks be cancer free. And he's supposedly been pitching on the side already before he was cancer free. I don't know how long this has taken. We all have known people with cancer. You don't know what to expect. You can't judge. He's an athlete, so we don't know how much quicker he's gonna be able to get back versus somebody we've known. So let's just hope that he's able to get back really soon, like in a month. And then this guy would have been a top 
five closer. And we have already lost Edwin Diaz. We're, this guy might be a top two closer right now when he gets back. And if he's available in your league, that could be a huge add. Just knowing what little I know about Liam Hendricks, he could still lead the American League in saves. Just the way he competes, the way he wants to go out there. The White Sox have to give him those opportunities, obviously. But like that, it is definitely the best story that we could possibly get out of this situation after learning it in the offseason as well. I did this this stash earlier on when he came out and said that he only had one more treatment left. Things were moving away faster than I think any of us expected. And so I definitely threw out 20, 30, 40 bucks on fab on him about two weeks ago. So I've got him in a bunch of places. If he is available still in your leagues, yes, granted, if he wasn't drafted, he may not be available to be picked up like you mentioned, though he might be because because technically he's on the roster. He's just on the IL. Oh, since he hasn't appeared in a game, he's not. So he would have had to have been drafted and then dropped, which obviously is in plenty of leagues. (laughs) He was drafted everywhere prior to the announcement in the offseason. So always just check your wire, see see if he's out there. So I love the call out there for no other reason. Like you said, put a smile on your face based on the situation. And obviously we can all think of not only personal people in our lives that have been affected in that way and how they've been, how they've come back for it. But the players, obviously they come to a lot of our minds, John Lester, Trey Mancini, the guys that come back and do good things when they do come back. So those are the those are the, that's the direction I tend to go. Obviously, you want to think of the most positive influences in this situation that you possibly can for Liam's sake. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I didn't draft him anywhere. I would have thought that he would be gone a lot longer, but I'm sure as heck glad that he's back this week. Yes. <laughs> it's just good for baseball in general. Good yeah, for him good for and his family. All right, Doug, man, thank you so much, man. I We went, uh, as, as Nick would always say, we went a little long in this podcast, but that'll happen when you're just diving into things you love to talk about with good people. So I appreciate your time, man, and him coming on. And hopefully your first foray into the podcast world was a positive one. And we'll, see, we'll hear you again on the airwaves soon. Yeah, hopefully. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. I couldn't imagine to have more fun than this right now. Awesome, man. All right. That is going to wrap it up for episode 112 of On The Wire. Please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. We're back every Sunday with a detailed fab breakdown throughout the 2023 season. Of course, keep a lookout for Brett Ford's companion article over at PitcherList.com. Comes out every Sunday afternoon as well with his recommendations for fab. We'll see how many of them overlap with what Doug and I talked about today. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod at On The Wire Pod. I'd like to once again thank my guest, Doug Roth, for joining me this week. You can follow him on the Twitter at Doug Roth15. And after all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hasting, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye.